Hello and welcome to the Practical Leadership Podcast, where I interview great leaders and try to extract their wisdom and their experience for you to learn from and hopefully avoid making their mistakes. If you want to upgrade your leadership skills in 25 minutes, check out practical-leadership.academy. Kim Abbott, thank you very much indeed for joining me. Could I ask you, so apart from a goal of trying to redefine a word in the English language. So you're trying to go from taking the word millionaire to mean somebody who's really rich, to mean somebody who's impacted a million lives, which isn't a bad start. You've been a mechanical engineer, delegate to the United Nations, builder of artificial hearts. One day a coder, next day you're pitching to Wall Street, then you're trying to essentially build a bridge covering that gap between people raising and making financial decisions to creating impact. What do you do in your days off? I don't have many. Um, I don't have many days off at all, Paul, but I think you've captured it pretty well. Um, the one thing you probably missed out is, is I'm an Aussie, which is an important distinction to make uh, when you live here in the UK. Um, but yeah, I've had quite a varied and, and actually really enjoyable path um, in my career, you know, starting, as you said, as an engineer, um, and yeah, most recently working for the UN, um, designing and building for them their data platform to assess and monitor global peacekeeping operations. And then, of course, leading into Vested, you know, with, as you, you know, really said, our grand goal to, you know, use data to help drive money, you know, into solving the problems that matter. And, and that's what's, you know, important to me and gets me up and fills most of my spare time. <laughs> You were with, uh, I mean, the reason I found you was via Rachel, Rachel Kay. Uh, and I think you were working with her at Talis for quite a while there. How did you make the leap from being a, a, an engineer, a, a female engineer and a vastly male-dominated engineering company? How did you make the, the, the leap from being an engineer into more purpose-driven enterprise? Yeah, I I actually um, I actually founded and ran a social enterprise in India um, when I was 21 um, in university, and that was my first foray into kind of solving problems that matter using business as a mechanism to do that. Um, and it was actually probably my my first foray into leading and managing people. You know, by default, um, you end up you know kind of kind of taking on a team. But for me, it it was kind of that experience of doing that instilled in me that kind of need to go, you know, I want to use my skills and time to solve problems that matter. So, you know, once I went to the corporate world and, and did that for many years and learned a hell of a lot of useful stuff, I realized that fire to kind of go, but I want to be spending my time every day, you know, contributing to problems that I think matter. Um, so it was, it was quite an easy jump back then to go in. The, the challenge was just then what problem am I going to choose to solve and, and commit my time to this time? Um, but I, I think the fire never went out, even in the time I, I worked at Talos and worked at engineering, because um, it's all problem solving. It's just finding the problems that matter to you. So if you're, you said your first foray into having to run teams and things, was on your first experiment with a purpose-driven enterprise. That was going to be Rocca Jewelry, right? Mm. You've got to tell yeah. us a little bit about that. Yeah, absolutely. And I think it was one that, like I said, I, I didn't set out 
really to to start a company i set out to make a difference and you know it was about economic empowerment of women you know we i won't go into the details but you know we, we figured out a way to do it and and business made the most sense to make it a sustainable way you know to to help these people and so all of a sudden i i kind of never thought about that i would have to run and lead a team but but you need more people i was only 21 the company, you know, the social enterprise was run entirely by students. You know, the oldest person in the team was 25. Um, we had student volunteers. No one was paid. And so I think, you know, I kind of took on the hardest people management challenge at the very start, which was managing people that are driven extremely passionately, running a social enterprise on another continent um, with people that aren't paid. They're volunteers. So learning how to, you know, manage, motivate myself and them I did not always get it right um but it it taught me a hell of a lot and and I actually thank a lot of the the mentors and that were actually the ones that that got me through that because I I didn't know what I was doing um but I was very fortunate to have people around me that could help me learn and pick up after the mistakes because they happen particularly in your first time managing people it's a bit of a sod really when you think about it and one of the reasons I'm trying to do this is I was inspired because I had a conversation with my 10-year-old daughter and she was saying, oh, work, jobs, stuff like that. So we had that big daughter-daddy chat. And I was thinking, oh, good God, at some point in the not-too-distant future, she's going to go off to work and she's going to get some god-awful crappy manager because normally your first manager is kind of crap because it's their first management gig. You give the most junior staff the most junior staff to manage. Rarely or sometimes you might get somebody who's actually know, knows what they're doing and they are the ones who are the inspirational types or you find a mentor you find a coach but as young people get bad managers so it therefore forms their picture of what bad managers look like you said you had mentors which was wonderful as well so in that that's kind of the challenge there i think you said it's a couple of words you use the sustainable social enterprise and there's a lovely word that I like, which is company. You create a company and you're working in the company of others, right? Company comes from companion, which is compain with bread. It's somebody I like to break bread with. So you've got this team of volunteers. You're breaking bread with them all. How on earth do you, how, how did you go about, how did you suss out how to motivate these people at that point, age 21? Yeah, and I think it's, it's, it's a lovely way to say it. I'd actually never heard that, that kind of history of, of the word company, but it resonated so much, Paul, because that's exactly what it was. It was a group of people united around a vision. And I think, you know, that to me as a, as a, leader. And I think leading and managing are not always the same thing. Um, and I think I learned that, you know, my most important role as a leader was to set that vision that that everyone was gathered around and to make sure they feel a part of it. So communicating all the time um, is really important. Being vulnerable about, you know, I think one of the big challenges with when you're young and when you're a first time manager and you get given these roles is that, you know, you don't realize that the most important person you manage and lead is yourself, first and foremost, because your title doesn't earn you respect, your actions do. And if you manage yourself properly, you you set the vision right. I mean, that that company of people, as as you you know beautifully described, 
it's easy for them to, you know, to motivate themselves and get on board. I think as a leader, you often think the minute you become a manager or a leader, you think you need to know it all and you have to know and tell them how to do it. But that's not your role at all. It's tell them the vision, empower them to be a part of, of solving that problem or, or, you know, part of that common thing that's brought you together. Um, and then, you know, be humble about it. Listen to them. And then you're a team, as you said, you're a community um, together, not a, a hierarchy. There's some I think some people talk about oh come come to work for us we're like a family it's like eh no sorry that's not I, I don't think that's that's right no I yeah. think you're a group of people with a hopefully with a common vision and a common desire to solve a problem um, is the way I like to see it it's work with people who believe what you believe um, and you know your your team is is half the way there. Was it um, you get the hiring right, you avoid 85% of your management problems? No? Bang on. <laughs> yeah. What, if you were then to advise someone and you said, you were to sit them down and say, right, you're going off. Let's stick with volunteers because volunteers is an interesting group of people to think about because if you're, if you're trying to manage people normally, uh, I would like to use a thing called tight, loose, tight, right? You're really tight about what it is you want them to do. You're really loose about how they go off and do it, and you're really tight about following up afterwards. And I've done quite a bit of charity work and stuff as well. And because you're coming into something and you're trying to give of your time, in some aspects, I quite like it to be tight, tight, tight. As in, this is what we need you to do. This is exactly how you need to do it because you don't have time to learn it or to, to go and discover stuff. You don't have any of the backstory. And this is how we're going to manage it. So you're almost giving, giving somebody a playbook, go do this thing. I think it's different for different sorts of uh, purposeful roles, you know? I mean, I'm talking about going off and working in a charity store or being Santa for the day or whatever it is. But you're talking about something slightly different. How do you manage volunteers? I think, I, I think what you've said, definitely, it has a place, right? It depends on where the organization's at and what they need. Um, what I have tend to have found is you know, yes, when I we bring people in and we give them tight, 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 you know, we, we just need this from you and go. I think a lot of people innately know they either have more to offer or there's, you know, there's something over here that, that, that they think they could do. And so I have found being being less tight about that, tight about this is the problem we are solving. And, you know, we stick to that. But but as you said initially, the, the kind of how you get there um, is a little broader, I think, particularly with volunteers, you're kind of saying, you know, use what you think you are best at and where you think you can best contribute um, to now that problem. You, you can kind of help and say, I think I think you're best fitted here. But, you know, there's kind of a, a wider bound, I think, for them to move in because I think they're off. They're doing this often purely driven and motivated by doing something that matters. And so sometimes, you, you know, you kind of got to let them decide where they think they can matter most. Um, the problem, and I was fortunate in my career, even in engineering, that I was always given a little bit more of that space to go, this is my job and what I got to deliver. But here's a bit of extra boundary to go, but you make where you think, you know, you can also make that extra contribution and make things matter more. Um, and I'm forever grateful for that um, because it, it gave me a lot of freedom, but I think it set me up to help, you know, do that for others. So you're trying to find the the tasks where people will be able to use their strengths. 
build on their strengths. You're trying to you're trying to discover what that help them discover what that strength is, and then build on top of that for something that's maybe a bit broader of a task. But if it's a narrower task, you're saying, look, I'm you're almost like a contractor. Here are the three things you need to do by Tuesday. Yep. I think it's harder to link to the impact when it's smaller. Mm. Um, and, and I recently had that actually, even, even with an intern at, at, at Vested. You know, it's hard. It is truly hard to say the data you're putting into a spreadsheet every day is, is you know, going on to help change the biggest problems in Africa. Now, it's actually true, but it is hard to see that when, when you kind of constrain them. So I think for me, it's making sure they do always know where those end impacts are. I saw it a lot at the UN. It was about going to the field, going to see it, going to feel it, to see where your end things end up. And I think when we get in super big or super hierarchical organizations, it does become hard for those those you know younger and early entry people to see that final thing. But but that's important to me to kind of go. Sometimes it's reverse. You know, you kind of go. Here's the big problem. Here's what we're trying to solve. Here's your part solving it. And you might be that little component. But making sure they're aware, um, you know, that they are solving problems that matter, um, be it to the world or be it to them, um, I think is critical. Do you think there's that much difference between that sort of way of working than how you worked, for example, at a multi-billion dollar French hierarchical company? think there is at all actually if I'm honest uh, Paul because I look now and I think the only difference was I look now and I see that all those leadership briefings on this is our strategy and this is our vision I just think why I can see now that that was exactly what they were trying to do um, and it's the right way to do it um, it was just that and I think this is you know the thing is that 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 vision maybe and that strategy didn't resonate with me and I think it's different when all of a sudden, if you are connected to the vision and you go, yeah, I get that and I want to help you get there, it doesn't matter if you're part of a multinational or a, a startup where you're one step from the top. Um, it was, yeah, I realize now that I thought they were, they were doing that all the wrong. They were trying to connect, you know, what we did to the vision. But, you know, I think it was just something that that probably just didn't resonate or feel like, you know, it was um, a problem I, I, I really wanted to contribute to. I had an interview with a, a wonderful Brazilian friend of mine, Alan Costa, great entrepreneur, and he was talking about finding and creating purpose and regardless of the organization, that you can always find the purpose in what you do. And I'm, I'm, you may have come across Daniel Pink, um, you know, the, the surprising truth about things that motivate us, you know, autonomy, um, what is it? autonomy and mastery and purpose. And the purpose being the, the, the underpinning piece. He talked about the, you know the saving the world, changing the world, purpose, which is great, but difficult to get you out of bed in the morning. And the thing that actually gets you out of bed in the morning is the small p, capital P, purpose, change the world. Small p, purpose, me, and my friends, not letting people down, doing this thing together, making this step one step at a time, and linking them all together to the changing of the world piece. So purpose, I think, yeah. Yeah, and I, I think so. I, I think of that even with Vested, um, you know, my company now. I I started that company with a goal that I quite literally wrote on my wall one day, how do I solve the world's biggest problems? Now, and I meant climate, poverty, food insecurity, and I was not naive enough to think I could solve them all. 
but I was looking for what was the problem in that um, that I could pick and contribute to. And, and I kind of drilled it down and said, okay, there's when his education, it needs this, it needs finance. And I went, why? What's happening with finance? You know, there's there's not enough in the charity and philanthropy space, you know, with five trillion dollars short. The money's in the corporate, but it doesn't go anywhere because of data. And that's when I went, great, data. I can help with that. Let's do that. And I think picking that microcosm of a problem means you don't have to pick it all. I think you're right with that purpose thing. It's not about changing the whole world, but it's just knowing that that part, that if you can change it, will link into and then flow on um, is the key for me for, for the purpose. I think as long as you can leave your part of the world slightly better. Yeah, and sometimes if the only person you help is yourself, it's still counts sometimes as well. Someone said that to me once when I was running a social enterprise in India, and I was so disappointed that we'd scaled it and we were still only helping, you know, kind of nine women. And they said, yeah, but those nine women, you know, to the world, they're nine women, but to, you know, their families or to them, like they, that is their world. Um, You know, that one person matters. And sometimes that one person is yourself and that's okay as well. To the world are nine women, to those nine women of the world. Hmm. That's nice. There's the concept that there's no such thing as a small act of kindness. Every act of kindness is a ripple that has no end. Every day you make somebody else's day better, they then convey that, and it passes further and further and further out. It ripples. It's like a stone being thrown into still, still pool. Was there in your interesting career so far uh an event or a mistake or something that has driven you to learn something i've made many i think we have all made many mistakes um you know i think there's probably two there was one for me obviously running the social enterprise there become a point where I, I needed to hand it over, um, you know, to be merged with another organization. And it was absolutely the right decision. It was the best decision for women, for the impact, for the company. The, the lesson and mistake was that it should have been made earlier. You know, I, I was afraid that walking away was failing, but actually it was probably the most courageous thing I could do because it was the right thing to do. So I think I learned then that the hard decisions are, it's okay that they're hard, but you need to make them. Um, and I think I learned, I learned a valuable lesson in the UN about, you know, truly un- listening and understanding the people you're trying to serve, the problems you're trying to solve. They may be your customers. Um, because, yeah, I, I built a wonderful thing, you know, took it to the field and we went, ta-da, and they just went, this, 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 you don't understand this and this doesn't solve our problem. And it was a humbling experience to go, you know, you, when you lead a company or you lead in any sort, you have people that report to you that are smarter than you. You serve customers and people that are 10 times smarter at knowing their problems and what they need. And it taught me a lot about listening and being humble. Um, and, you know, it's it's served me in good stead since. There's a, I was talking to somebody fairly recently about product market fit or problem solution fit, even. You're trying to solve a problem that doesn't exist. And exactly as you said it's listening to people about their problem they don't necessarily know how to solve it but they are experts in their problem and typically they're experts in their problem and they're working around it if it's a problem that's big enough to be fixed by data by an app whatever it is they're doing something about it today whether it's chipping stone off of something with an axe or sharpening their pencil the wrong way doesn't really matter they're doing something about it 
And if they've got a workaround for it, it's important enough for them. And if it's important enough for them, they'll appreciate your fix, one assumes, if it actually solves that issue. They're great lessons. So you delayed merging your social enterprise with another organization because? To be really vulnerable and honest, I think there's a there is a personal side of, you know, that was that was my baby, what I created. I saw that me having to step away from it was me failing and letting down the people I, I cared about, which, you know, in, in hindsight, of course, was was entirely wrong. Um, and I think when I came to that realization that, you know, it was the best decision for everybody, but most importantly for, you know, the people we were serving, it was a, you know, it became an easy decision. Um and and so yeah i think i learned a lot about you know particularly when you do work that matters you know it's selflessness is is often what drives it but selfishness can also it's always there it's always innately there as humans you know we are humans we are part of it we have a stake in it so i think it was a big lesson for me too in in just understanding those emotions that you often feel you know when you know as a human um you know companies are are often intangible things but it's people behind it um and that's okay it's okay that it was tough um but i still you know needed to make the right decision well well done for making it it's ego i think isn't it that sort of thing yeah. it does and that's what I think you see a lot with, you know, philanthropic or people like, oh, I want to change the world. And then and then ego creeps in. And sometimes it's unavoidable. Um, but I, I always hope and I have a nice tribe of kind of mentors and, and people that I'm always kind of like, please, you know, please, please, you know, remind me or, or knock me down um, when that creeps in, um, because it can be dangerous and it can impair decisions as it did for, for me back then. What are you working on at present? I think it's a it's a busy time for us um, at present. So with Vested, um, we obviously uh, assess and monitor the impact that companies have outwardly on the world's biggest problems. Um, and we pull on kind of over 100 million data points from the development world to do that. So we're bridging a gap basically between the people that know impact best and the corporate world and the private sector. Um, which is, you know, it's it's taken many years to build that and get it right. But I think what's really important for us at the moment is we, we've just been selected to showcase Vested at the Paris Peace Forum, which is like the Davos of global governance. You know, you've got COP for climate, Davos for, for economy. Paris Peace Forum is, is for governance. World leaders go. Um, and yeah, we're, we've been very fortunate to kind of then wave our solution up as a, as a great example of governance on measuring the non-financial impact of companies. So that's a huge thing we're preparing for, but a big opportunity, um, which is consuming all my time. I can imagine. What are you listening to reading at the moment? I don't get a, a lot of time um, to listen or, or read things, but when I do, I do tend to focus a lot on kind of self-development. I'm a big fan of the podcast, We Can Do Hard Things by, by Glennon Doyle. Um, that's definitely a favorite. And and reading-wise, I think it's a similar vein. Like I say, I'm a big fan of reading Brené Brown's books on, on kind of the power of vulnerability, how that reflects in, in leadership and in life and those two things are still things I like to work on. So they're very current to what I still listen to, but they've they've ones I've been listening and reading for quite a while. Oh, great recommendations. I do love Brenny Brown. She seems to be significantly more data-driven than most. 
I don't have time for fluff. I, 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 I <laughs> yeah, I like fluff. her and her measuring stick, as she says. <laughs> that's it. That's it. We looked at this. These ones are nonsense. This one works. Okay, let's go. Let's try that. Try an experiment. Everything's an experiment, isn't it? I've got a magic wand here for you, and I'm going to enable you to thank young Kim for doing something. What did she do that you're very grateful for? I am going to thank young Kim for, for doing it scared. Um, I was quite a shy and anxious child, and I think I look back at all the decisions and steps I made in life that kind of led to where I am now, and nearly all of them were made by a decision that involved me stepping outside my comfort zone. And, you know, I, I think I... I think I was very fortunate. My parents instilled in me that courage isn't courage isn't the absence of fear. It was being afraid but doing it anyway. And I'll never forget. I sat in the back of my I sat in the back of my mom's car on the way to an engineering camp, crying the entire time because I was so scared and so anxious about going. But I went, and you know, it's the sole reason almost I became an engineer following that camp. And I just I thank my younger self for having the courage to to just do things scared because most of the risks I've taken in life and I'm still terrified most days and they're very anxious, but um, it, it taught me a lot about, you know, what it can deliver for you and help you achieve. Um, it's not about often overcoming it. It's about, you know, serving the, the greater thing. Doing it scared. I'm going to get that in a t-shirt. That's, it's not just do it, just do it scared. Yeah, I often say the Nike logo that says just do it. I'd, I'd like to add scared at the end because I think most of us, when we're just doing it, um, are actually terrified. So that, that would be my edit to, to Nike. Because when you are on these edges, and the world is interesting when you're on the edge cases of everything, you know, when you're in the centre, in the middle of the road, all that sort of stuff, and in fact you make it knocked down. You're in this, when you're just walking along with everybody else, it's, not, it's when you're right on the edge of something or the, the, the door between two states, that's when stuff's really interesting. You know, it's the difference between, you know, lounge music and chaos. You've got jazz. It's the difference between uh, something simple in this, in this context, when you're delegating somebody to something, to, some, to somebody, if you're not afraid of them making an absolute hash of it, you haven't delegated enough. You've got to be on that edge of concern and doing it scared. If you're not pushing yourself to actually stand outside of your comfort zone with a great big fluffy pillows and the warm cup of tea and a biscuit, then maybe you're not living life as fully as you could. That's my couldn't, couldn't agree more with that, Paul. And I think people still say to me, you know, oh, how do you how do you get up and, and present at the UN? Or how do you, you know, how are you not nervous and afraid? And I used to make up all manner of excuses. Oh, it's just this, it's that. And I think now I'm just honest and say, I am, I'm terrified. But um, to your point, you know, that is the zone where we grow a lot of the time, that that step from the comfort zone, it's where the magic happens. Um, so it's worth it. It is terrifying, but it's, it's proved worth it for me. Marvellous. And then lastly, as we wrap up, Kim, how can people find you? Yeah, I think in terms of Vested and the work we're doing now, um, you know, you can check out our website at www.vestedimpact.co.uk. Um, but me personally, the, the best way to track me down is LinkedIn. Um, is, is probably the best place you'll find me. Then, Kim Abbott, thank you very yeah. much indeed for joining me. It's been an absolute pleasure, Paul. Um, it's been a great way to, to spend my morning to have 
discussions like this um, and reflecting on, you know, my journey so far. That's a wrap. Thank you for joining me today. Your homework, subscribe and share this with a friend or colleague. Please leave your five-star review and any comments you have because that really helps me to improve every day and it helps people to discover me online. If you want to upgrade your leadership skills in 25 minutes, you should check out practical-leadership.academy.